Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This is a brand new theme. This week's theme is, can we just talk about... Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for the start of a brand new theme. This is the first time we've done this in, gosh, what, 150-plus episodes. So we're trying something very new here. But that's how you keep it fresh when you have that many episodes. Uh, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be able to talk about movies that, like, more than one of us have seen or that I've been made (laughs) more than 10 years ago or, you know... It's it's nice. It's nice. I'm I'm excited to talk about mechas punching kaiju. <laughs> right, they're mechas, not robots. I'm sure you'd be quick to correct me on that early in this episode. Normally, yes, this movie I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was about to say the rules are loose. Uh David Luzader, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, I'm excited, like all people who are in a relationship where things have gotten a little stale. So you're like, let's spice it up. Let's mix it up. Let's maybe try some role play. And we'll just see how things work out. That's the analogy we're going for, right? (laughs) I'm getting things are great. I thought you were going to tell us about like this new drifting thing you'd come up with with your girlfriend. And no, that's me and my dog. We've we've hooked up (laughs) and we just get lost in the drift. <laughs> yeah, you and Topanga just are on the same wavelength most uh, of the time. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, just to re- not to remind folks they they don't know about it. Uh, can we just talk about is essentially replacing Netflix roulette the cycle? And should people enjoy it? It's something we'll continue to do. So right off the bat, I am going to badger you for your feedback as an audience because the goal here as Nicole alluded to, is that there's a lot of movies that we all want to talk about that we never have had the opportunity to bring because, like she said, they fall into future classics or around the world or one of us happens to have seen them so it can't be a new to two because whatever reason, it just doesn't fall into a category that we already have. And we like those categories. They keep the show grounded. It gives us a lot of fun to play within that box, but we also want to just get the opportunity to break outside of that box too. So what we did here is we put, was it 10 uh, films each, Nicole? Yes, we each plopped 10 into a randomizer. So we'll be checking that every time we have one of these episodes. So there's still going to be like a random element Mm -hmm. to it, but it'll be from a defined list that we've already come up with. A curated collection. This is is the criterion collection of the week. Exactly. Yes. The curated collection. I mean, we had a list Netflix roulette, like nine times out of 10, it would be something. just is it not uh, maybe not nine times out of ten like four out of five times it 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 was there's a reason we took this theme behind the shed (laughs) yeah it was it was dull and occasionally we'd come up with one that was so bad it's good and sometimes we'd come up with like a real you know hidden gem but super rare (laughs) there's a reason there's a lot of movies on netflix or ones distributors um could not get or or uh, studios could not get distributors for yeah and so netflix just bought them wholesale at at the streaming costco in the ten dollar bin <laughs> on the way out and slapped them up there and we were like hey we don't have to we don't have to handle this and nicole and i both decided we really wanted to talk about the thing apparently so uh, we made <laughs> we made this uh, new category happen right. spoilers <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and there are two, two things on that. One, my God, the list of 30 films is, is so emblematic of the type of people and movie fans that we are, mm-hmm. because <laughs> that you can just automatically tell usually which one of us put a movie in the list. Uh, with that said, we did have a couple overlaps where we picked the same movie together and we had to, you know, just add it once. So we each got 10. But yeah, then I think the other part of it is I feel like Netflix Roulette had the opportunity and did at times bring us those so bad it's good movies that you mentioned. But to be fair, we just get really bad movies from you, the audience, every five weeks. (laughs) So we have no shortage of trash. We are swimming in trash every five weeks with You Did This To Us. And it's way more fun and the audience gets to be involved. So right off the bat, I think that this new category is just going to give us the opportunity where like one person is really saying, can we just talk about like right off the bat, we have one person that's excited about the movie. And I think that's going to be really fun because Nicole, your movie came up in the spinner for our very first time. We are watching 2013's Pacific Rim. Uh, When monstrous creatures started rising from the sea to destroy coastal cities, a war began, taking millions of lives and consuming humanity's resources for years on end. To combat these kaiju, special weapons were devised. Massive robots controlled by two pilots whose minds are linked in a neural bridge, even though the huge machines can't keep back the relentless kaiju forever. On the verge of defeat... A small team has to carry out a plan that is mankind's last hope against the impending apocalypse. So, Nicole. Yeah. Well, first of all, next week is Future Classics. I always forget to mention the next movie. (laughs) It's going to be... Hey, everybody. This Future Classic was Brett's pick, and he chose the 2021 The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn, except no substitutes. Okay. So, Nicole... (laughs) Pacific Rim, why are we watching it? Because this movie kicks ass, Brett. That's why. (laughs) Yeah, it does. This movie rules. No, actually, you know, I put in the number one topic on the list of discussion topics is why Nicole loves this movie. And honestly, the number one reason that I love this movie is that it does exactly what it says on the box. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Giant mechas fighting giant monsters and it's i mean who wouldn't want to watch that (laughs) fantastic question it's mixing two classic japanese genres of kaiju movies and tokusatsu movies which are like special effect heavy kind of things usually with mechas or robots involved like ultraman you know for example but it's just You know, I heard this was coming back in 2012, and then I saw the first trailer, and I'm like, I I must see this film. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. Right. (laughs) This could not get any better. It just can't. So Yeah, it's a perfect storm. Yes. I'm with you. I was... (laughs) Oh, I was so excited for this movie and uh, still get excited watching it because this movie rules. And I remember (laughs) that first trailer and they show, they show Gypsy Danger dragging the boat through the the city and then using it to smash the kaiju in the face. And I was like, this is exactly what I've wanted. This is (laughs) the whole purpose that movies are made. Yes, please. I need to see it. Saw it. Was not disappointed. 
got exactly what I wanted out of the movie. Like Nicole says, it it does what it sets out to do. Toy inside. This is printed on the box. And hey, there's a toy in there. And it's great. And yeah, there's a lot of stupid stuff about this movie we could rag on. And I don't care. I don't, I don't <laughs> care at all. I'd watch this movie every day of the week if I could. That's not true. I'd probably switch it up every once in a while. Yeah, although he'll probably never stop ragging on Charlie Hunnam's American accent. What the hell is he doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Charlie. Rocco, <laughs> what was all that about? I mean, I'm not crazy. You felt it, right? We are drift compatible. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I put some discussion topics on here that very much are ragging on the parts that aren't bad, but don't let that dissuade us from the fact that this movie rules, like both of you said. And (laughs) the absurdity of this movie is that you would think that... I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe this. They've made many movies like this before. We've had like five Godzillas in the last five years. I mean, like like in this vein of like big monster destroy city. They've made... Godzilla movies, and they've made Transformers movies. <laughs> sure, e- exactly. But they don't play with each other. <laughs> right. And, but none of them reach the level of awesomeness that this manages to reach. And I think it's just because Guillermo del Toro has so much fondness for not only what he's homaging in Japanese culture, but just leaning into the skid of every trope, every dumb thing, every plot hole. He knows it's there. And he doesn't care because it's going to be robots punching kaijus. And that's all that matters. And I kind of respect it for that. And the kaiju designs are awesome. They're so cool. They went through like hundreds and whittled it down to the few that appear on screen. Yeah. So, and I mean, they look great. Monster design in movies has gotten lazy. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just got a hot take coming from me over here. Um, (laughs) But even uh, even even Loki, which I very much enjoyed watching recently, there's like a creature near the end, which is a a giant monster made of smoke. And if people know my love of Lost, like okay, you're you're you know uh, you're on the right track. But then like its face was a skull face. It's like okay, yeah, cool. I've seen monster with a skull face and spindly body and limbs eight million times like it doesn't do anything for me at this point and then like you have these things coming out which have fins on their head and like eyes all over and each one is unique and crazy and weird and there it's a visual feast it remind remind not in the same way uh, but like Shin Godzilla, the start of Shin Godzilla, when he's just waddling downtown <laughs> and like, that's, with the googly eyes. That's a design I hadn't seen before, yeah. and it, it, it endeared me so much. The, the chicken lizard thing, yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, David. First of all, when you spend all of your creative resources on Richard E. Grant befriending an alligator, That's you just true. don't have the effort or time. Yeah, to... the money was the money was spent. <laughs> yeah, right. it was <laughs> the, the money and the energy were spent, and maybe maybe rightfully so because that I, is the best part of Loki. Oh, I was going to say, I hear you saying the money was spent, but not well spent (laughs) (laughs) no but that's not what you're saying is what i'm saying i haven't seen loki i don't know richard e grant is great richard e grant is great it's it's glorious richard e grant is is wonderful well richard e grant is always great (laughs) me saying richard e grant is great is like saying water is oh no sidejag just look up on youtube richard e grant but with all the voice like segments from with nal and i (laughs) as the loki character it's oh what yeah 
Perfect. I, I'll, I'll put it in the show beautiful. notes. Okay. So uh, let's go through our discussion topics for this. We're just going to rapid fire through and we have a, we have a ton. Uh, oh, wait, my, wait, my wait, first... wait, 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 wait. Okay. Wait, yeah. Wait. Yeah. Just, okay. I just want to pause for one second because I noticed it's not on the topics list and it, it ties into why I love this movie so much. Okay. It's the, the second thing, you know, other than the obvious love that went into this movie because Guillermo del Toro loves both of those genres and loves a visual spectacle and was like so excited to be, I think he called it like painting with film making this movie mm-hmm. um, is the level of detail in here, the world building. It mm-hmm. is the level of detail is wild. It is extreme. It's like you walk you know, the camera moves around the, the Shatter Dome, and God, isn't that the best name ever for a the base? The Shatter Dome. We're not an army anymore, Mr. Beckett. We're the resistance. Welcome to the Shatter Dome. All right. I'm excited. <laughs> but, like, there's, like, little signs everywhere that people would need to find their way around. There's, like, warning signs that you would need, like, beware of falling mecha bits and... <laughs> Just these little tiny things that, and scratches and scrapes and bits of paint and dents and just everything that makes the world look lived in and usable mm-hmm. and believable. And you can imagine yourself in it, even though it's right. fantastical as well. Yeah. yeah, I think playing into that is the montage that plays um, near the beginning. And it's like, uh, you know, showing all the people watching the kaiju attacks and like standing together when they start getting defeated. But then there's all these shots of like of the world post uh, Jaeger introduction. And, you know, like there's like shoes and commercials and toys. And there's like I, I always remember the shot of like the talk show. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, the set, they, they built the set and they like built these two costumes of monsters coming out, like fighting each other. And it's, it's a two second shot. It's like nothing, but they put the time into that and making it authentic. And that pays off in, in the way that you're saying the world feels so much more real because of those little touches. Right. That was actually right. done, that introductory stuff, that was done by an assistant director who went hmm. literally around the world to get on-site footage of the various countries to make them identifiable places in the world and did like the industrial film look of it so that it looks like both an industrial film and like kind of a bit of a propaganda film like you would get for world war ii and buy war bonds you know and showing the happy workers on the production line kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's just it's amazing it's amazing i love it I love it is so much love goes into this movie and it really shows. And, uh, you know, David, as you mentioned, like the commercials and everything that they start commoditizing this, these kaiju battles, it's like the most realistic part of the movie to me is that yeah. how quick humanity is to, you know, merchandise and commercialize its own doom and a, a fairly horrific thing that is, uh, killing lots of people, right? People um, getting tattoos. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like those location shots, you see how, because like these giant kaijus come down and they're ginormous. Like, technically they come up, but anyway. They, they come <laughs> up out of the ocean, but I mean, like once they come down when they die is what oh, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Their carcasses kind of become part of the landscape because they're just so big. What are you really going to do with them? And 
just the way they imagined around that is, is so unique and cool. And and I actually really think one of the coolest aesthetics of the beginning of the movie is the coastal wall. Charlie Hudnam's out there making a coastal wall. He's a blue collar man and he's on a wall and, and being in construction. And I'll talk about that trope later. But um, I think the wall is really cool looking and I mm-hmm. love the aesthetic of the area and the location and how they're building it. But also, I want to know how they seriously thought this would ever work. <laughs> it's a giant wall. What? Yeah, because it's an easy answer. That's yeah. why, and it's got a defined uh, endpoint. In theory, it's got a defined endpoint. There's actually right. a, a fun construction sign. You know, this this segment of coastal wall, planned end date August whatever, and then the year is crossed out, and somebody has graffitied it. Never. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. But yeah, there's all these reminders of scale, you know, like the people in relation to the wall, the people in relation to the Jaegers, the people in relation to the Kaiju, the Jaegers in relation to the Kaiju, the Kaiju in relation to the city. Everywhere are peppered these little reminders of how big the scale of the problem is with this. Yeah. Right. Though they they show you in like a four-second shot, just the Kaiju in Australia just demolishing the coastal wall yeah. as expected. God knows how long that took and how much money it cost to build. Uh, mm-hmm. To build, But uh, I mean, yeah, because there's this whole element at the beginning of the movie, and it's one of the very first like funny plot holes to me, which is all the world leaders decide they don't need the Jaegers anymore, and they like decommission them and send them all off to Hong Kong for some reason, and they decide they're going to focus all their time and energy on the coastal wall instead. But like... The Jaegers are, like, the program's still running, and then when you ask where you got money for it, Idris Elba just kind of shrugs off. He's like, ah, the Russians, because <laughs> that's how it works. And then at one point, they're also able to, like, evacuate cities, but they're not on the government side anymore. It's very unclear what this organization yeah, is. They, they had license to operate until the coastal wall was completed, was, I think, was how okay. that was explained. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Like, we'll okay. fund you until X date. Right. Until we're done with our real defense, you know, you boys can go out there and keep having fun. And then, oh no, the wall doesn't work. Uh, double uh, event. Who right. could have seen this coming? Charlie Day. Uh. <laughs> oh yeah, Charlie Day. Uh, <laughs> uh, Charlie Day is great in this movie, by the way. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's, he's so good in this movie. People forget, outside of Always Sunny, just how great of an actor he is. And how well he can fit into roles that are, albeit more specific to his personality, but work incredibly well for him when they're written appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, he's exposition dump man. You know, he's got to do <laughs> right. so much of the heavy lifting in terms of telling us how the kaiju work, how the plan's supposed to work, what their biology is like, and the theory of when they're going to arrive and why, and, you know, just he gets that done so efficiently. And I mean, mm-hmm. part of it is that he talks so fast <laughs> and yeah, that's right. normal for his character yeah. is the nice part. It's not pushing it. He's easily the best part of the sequel, which uh, don't, don't, don't uh, see the, don't see don't the see sequel. sequel. Uh, There's a sequel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even John know that. John Boyega's in it. And John Boyega was like, I mean, I love John Boyega, uh, but I, I mean, I you know I like the guy, but in interviews he was like, I don't get why the robots are moving slow in the first one. So we made them oh. fast in this one. John, like, no, that, that, that was the whole point. <laughs> they moved yeah. slow, and it was cool because it felt real. Yeah, they feel heavy. 
yeah. when they move that slowly. You would need right, elbow right. rockets to really give a good punch to the face. Elbow it's rockets. so cool. What do you think of the I rocket? love how they need to yell stuff to each other, even though they're in each other's minds. He just needs to yell elbow rocket at her. I mean, <laughs> I grew up on Gachaman and Voltron, and so elbow rockets make perfect sense to me. Oh, yeah. No, I, <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. When they did elbow rockets, of like, course, oh, yeah, of sure. course, yeah. Well, no, that. How else are you going to punch it real hard? Elbow yeah. rockets. So, <laughs> and I mean, there's all the detail too. You can see like the the housings on the rocket exhaust. Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe I need to check out this sequel. Do not legitimately do not check out the sequel. It's yeah. But, but, but see, I want to know how they come back. Yeah. No, and you I don't. Guess it's, I guess well, literally, I guess they could literally it's like they opened another portal. Um, Charlie so Charlie Day is infected when he connects to the kaiju in this one and like helps them come back. Yeah. It's yeah. Stupid. And they, they do one of the major characters dirty in the second okay. film in terms of writing them out within like 30 minutes. So Man, why would you want to follow yourself up um, yeah. with a Guillermo del Toro property? You know, why, how would you want to follow that as a director? Cause it's, he didn't direct it's it. It's like following Jimi Hendrix on stage. You know, you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the who wanted to do yeah. that. Um, yeah, I mean, I also love Charlie Day's. Like dinosaurs have two brains. Like that's not even a thing. Like that they just write in thing. like nonsense. I mean, that might not, not. It might not be true. But when it's not when true. I was a kid, that was one of the running theories was that dinosaurs had more than one brain. Oh, when okay. They see, were see huge. this is something that has like been debunked in the last couple I'm decades. I'm sure it and, has. Like, yeah, but I mean that's. I just, but I just love that yeah. they didn't care. Yeah. I think that's yeah. what I love about it is how little they cared about that logic line in the movie to not even bother to Google it like I did. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, just think of it as fine. like a, a ladder truck for the fire department. You know, somebody's got to steer the back end of the thing because yeah, it's right, just it's right. too much for one driver to handle. Yeah, well then, but <laughs> then we learn that the kaiju also built that built things <laughs> that come yeah. through the portal. Just a crazy, crazy curveball right in the last minute that I'm just like, sure, why not? Sounds good. <laughs> right, right. I mean, so... The sword. <laughs> I want to talk about the sword because this is like a hot... You're going to insult the sword in my presence. No. The opposite. <laughs> so the sword is like the coolest part of this. It's the most Transformers-y part of it. And what I don't understand and what Reddit is with me on is you're getting your ass handed to you by this giant flying kaiju. And like then in the latter half of the movie, all of the solutions are just, I just slice the kaiju in half. Like, you have the sword at your disposal, and they just choose not to use it until they are 40,000 feet in yeah. the air. They've never used it before. They don't know that it's going to work great. Punching has worked well in the past, you know? I, I'm not surprised they waited. <laughs> but like, And then they're, like, under the ocean, and they're just slicing kaijus in half. So clearly this was the well, solution. Because... The reveal of the sword is amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. really cool. And she's like, for my family. And it's like, anime has come to life before oh me. Yes. And, and the idea, they chose the coolest moment for it to happen. And if they yeah. did it like right off the bat, it's like, oh yeah, we got a sword. Slice, slice, slice. It, like takes out so much of the dramatic. I don't care if it was more convenient. The dramatic <laughs> tension. You're, no, you're totally right. You are totally right. The this is for my family thing is... Is why it exists. Because, uh, David, you did put in our docket, you know, this is a real-life anime. It is. It, uh, everything. It, it totally everything is. That, yeah. It's got 
anime oh. events. It's got anime dialogue, like uh, right at the, uh, at the climax does. of the movie when they're going to take the biggest kaiju over the brink into the breach. Raleigh turns to Mako and he goes, let's finish this together. Yep. And I'm just like, I can see the subtitles under the Japanese cartoon <laughs> I'm watching right now as I'm watching that scene because it's the exact kind of dialogue from and, those. And Brett, you listed a bunch of tropes in here and all, all these tropes, these are all yeah. anime tropes. Yes. So, so let me run through some of these because I, I think they're funny and I, and I, I do still love this movie dearly. Uh, so yeah, he leans really heavily into these. You know, there's the introduction, the gruff voiceover from the veteran who's left the game. Just when he thought he was out, they pulled him right back in. No, it's um, not a there's mafia a commander. movie. <laughs> But, like, there's the commander who's secretly dying and has personal woes he must overcome to save the world, and he will inevitably sacrifice himself. There's a soft-spoken girl who no one takes seriously, but is actually the badass the world needs. There's the oddball curio dealer who we have to sway to get what we want, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and then we finally learn the bad guy's plans. They're smarter than we thought, and the plan won't work. Like, all of these things are in a million movies, and I don't care, because I'm just here for Idris Elba punching giant dinosaur monsters with a robot. And it's fine. But apparently a lot of that is in anime. I'm not very anime fluent. Uh, I mean, it's, it's stuff that I would not be surprised to have seen any of this in anime. And right, we also right. get Idris Elba saying, uh, we're canceling the apocalypse. In- yes. But no, no. One, no one else could have delivered that line. No. Nope. And had me like applaud in my brain. It was, And this was the movie, too, that Idris Elba had been working. But I feel like this was kind of one of his biggest appearances like it was just after thor mm-hmm. and it really kind of helped propel him into like the idris elba that we have now as like a mainstream well guy del toro had seen him on the wire mm. and mm, was right. super impressed you know he was like wow this guy's really great and then he saw him on luther which is a British show, and he's like, wow, that American actor is doing an amazing <laughs> South London accent. <laughs> and when he found that, oh, he's actually British, he was like, I have to work with this man. I've got to find a project to put him in. And sure enough, you know, he comes up with the marshal of this base and somebody who has to deliver the big stirring speech at the end. And Idris Elba is one of, like, maybe, you know, four people on Earth who could deliver We Are Canceling the Apocalypse wow. and have it sound credible. It's beautiful. <laughs> it kind of just blew my mind. I didn't really realize that Idris Elba has really become a household name in, like, the last decade. Yeah. For some reason, you know, because he, what, he's probably in his 50s, I would guess, maybe? I think he's, um, no, he's he's my, well... He's approaching fifty. I was gonna say he's my age, but <laughs> because I know he's like he's forty eight. Okay, he's forty eight. So he's yeah. always been one of those guys. It's like, oh, he's gonna be James Bond, right? Until finally, it got to the point where it no longer made sense because he wouldn't be able to do it for twenty years. But um, in any case, just the amount of phenomenal films he's been in mm. in the last couple years. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Concrete Cowboy. I mean. The Suicide Squad is in a realm of its own, and we will bring it to this show in this category because we have to talk about it. I agree. But do it, we? Oh, no, we do. Yes, Nicole. Did, did you Nicole, watch it? <laughs> you, will act, you will enjoy it. Okay. You will love it. All right. It you promise so me? It is so good. I, I, I legitimately yes, do. Yes. All right. You will love is it. Is the shark guy like the werebear of that movie? Is that- <laughs> yes. And. and. <laughs> 
He's okay. amazing. Uh, he's absolutely right. amazing. In Shark Guy, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. And he needs to redeem himself <laughs> after the last movie we saw him on in this podcast. So, yes. So, in any case, um, Idris Elba, he's great yeah. in this movie. Uh, but do do the two leads, uh, you know, Charlie Hudden and uh, and what is what is um Rinko Kikuchi? Do they, do they have any oh, chemistry no. at all? <laughs> no, <laughs> there is like none, right? And then the last like minute of the movie when it's like it turns, he he turns to her and he says like I never really thought about the future until now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, come on, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you've known her for like a but day. It's, you know, it's thrown out there as. I suspect it's that was in response to like a studio note mm-hmm. because it was pretty clear from the commentary that Del Toro never had any intention of it being a romantic pairing. He was just yeah. like, here are two people who have like every reason in the world not to trust anybody and to not want to let anyone in and not be closely bonded or vulnerable to somebody else. Right. But they have to work together. They have to figure it out. So he tried to make the the combat test scene. He's like, it's kind of a courtship and kind of a fight. And it's just sort of getting each other's measure and being able to work well together. And it's like, they have good combat chemistry, more or less. Mm-hmm. But there is zero personal <laughs> chemistry. And I'm not talking <laughs> about romantic chemistry. I'm talking about even... Like ensemble just, chemistry. Just in general, they don't have a rapport. Like yeah. the crew on Firefly, like the engineer has right. with the pilot, even though they're not romantically interested in each other, but they've got good bump, bump, bump dialogue no, back witty, and forth. witty repartee. Yeah, it feels like they work together and they're used to each other and they're similarly motivated. And this, uh, no, it's just they're kind of there. They're kind of, you know, puppets. And I mean, Rinko Kikuchi, I think, is doing the best she can in English. And her English is is really quite good. It is, yeah. But it's always a factor in acting that I think it's, you're always going to act a little bit better in your native language. Oh, agreed. And there's always going to be like a little bit of a barrier. And I think that's p- kind of what she runs into. And Charlie Hunnam's barrier, again, is the accent. What what is he doing? What part of America is he supposed to be from? You and I are drift compatible. Doesn't he? <laughs> doesn't he mention he's from? He's supposed to be from Texas. That is not a Texas accent. That's not any part of a Texas no. accent. <laughs> That's not like Southern Texas. That's not East Texas. Currently living in Central Texas, I don't hear a lot of that. <laughs> That's not no. you know Gary Sinise's accent. That's not Matthew McConaughey's accent. That's you know. No. No. <laughs> I, I will say that the rapport in this movie that is great is Charlie Day and Burn Gorman. Oh yeah, they're the yeah. real romantic leads. Works really well, and Burn Gorman's great. And if you never watched Torchwood, which was a Doctor Who spinoff, where he ostensibly plays the exact same character that he does in this movie, mm. um, it's a it's a great TV ser- like, series. But you don't like him, Nicole? He, well, no, I love him in Torchwood, but he's also like way okay. hornier in Torchwood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Horchwood, Torchwood. Has, I said Horchwood. Torchwood as a whole is incredibly horny. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got Captain Jack for a Doctor Who spinoff. It is. It is not safe for work. No. Cap- um, Captain Jack. You know. <laughs> but Born Gorman in this movie, he's doing a good job. But it's. I don't know. I feel like the thing where he's like, "We'll 
get this for sure. And having a horrible time doing the handshake. Yeah. It's just, it's, he's called upon yeah. to do too much. <laughs> I, I agree. I think his, his, I'll say repartee again. Yeah. His repartee with uh, with Charlie Day is great, and that's like what mm-hmm. really you know those characters when they're on screen together, and like it's it's great and it's really working. But I, I agree, there's a couple moments where they lean into like, oh, you're the stuffed shirt, and you're such a stuffed shirt that mm-hmm. you know your the shirt's coming out of your mouth basically. And right, it's, yeah, it gets a little much. Yeah, yeah, yeah agreed. Uh, so, David, tell us about the Nakajima factor. I oh, that's my note. That in there. <laughs> Nicole, tell us about the Nakajima factor. <laughs> the Nakajima factor was an element of the kaiju design and actually the, the Jaeger design as well. Um, Haduo Nakajima was in 12 Godzilla movies inside the suit. Uh, he was also, also uh, Ultraman in a couple of movies and like several other stuff of this variety. And... Mm-hmm. Del Toro called it the Nakajima factor of design. It's like he wanted both the the Jaegers and the Kaiju to look like there could be a man inside operating it. Hmm. So right. while it couldn't look, while the, the Kaiju couldn't look human and they weren't supposed to look like any recognizable earth animal, the way that it was structured had to look like you could put a person in there on a larger scale. Like there would be places for the arms and legs and the head to go. So I just thought that because he wanted it to be, you know, he didn't want it to look like any other Godzilla monsters, but he wanted Mm -hmm. to pay tribute in some way to what had come before. I like that. Yeah. There's definitely like a Mon Mothma type thing going on when it, picks it up and starts flying around the city. You mean Mothra? Mothra. What is Mon Mothra? Is that a, is that a Zelda boss? Mon Mothma's from Star Wars. No, Mon from Star Wars. <laughs> I would love... It's the woman in Return of the Jedi who is like, the, here is our plan for the Death Star 2. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. In the with the bowl cut, the bowl cut in the long white. Dress. I would love yes. if she had just like that. flown into the scene and just like ah! <laughs> just gr- <laughs> grabbed onto <laughs> Gypsy Danger and started oh, flying God, for the long week, guys. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. But at the same, speaking of things that like Del Toro wanted out of this movie, so that's Otachi, by the way, that picks up Gypsy Danger and flies off with it. Right, right. Uh, but in any case, Del, I watched I watched this interview with Del Toro, and they also put this quote on his Wikipedia page, and it seems way deeper than I think this movie has any right to be, How which is where he says uh, what he wanted to get out of this movie. We're all in this together in the same robot. <laughs> Great sentence, first of all. Either we get along or we die. The idea of the movie is for us just to trust each other, to cross the barriers of color, sex, beliefs, whatever, and just stick together. Cool, man. That not, This movie doesn't really tackle any of that, but I'm happy that that's what he wanted people to get out of it. I don't know if that's what people will get out of it. I think the way he addressed it was just in casting, for the most part. 
is just getting as many yeah. different looking people from different places in the world mm-hmm. and from different countries. I don't think that people playing the Russians are actually Russian. I think they're like Swedish and some other right. nationality. But boy, they they really inhabit the uh, very Cold War stereotype Russian personalities <laughs> super well. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do love um, all the different people of, of different descent. And you have Clifton Collins Jr. playing a Chinese-American. <laughs> is that uh, what he's lo- doing? He's, his name I'm looking right now is Tendo, Tendo Choi. And it's uh, Chinese-American Jaeger Tech. Uh, spoiler alert, Clifton Collins Jr. Maybe he, oh, I was going to say, maybe he was adopted by a nice mm-hmm. Korean couple when he was. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> But I do love, and that's another anime moment of when they're going through of like, here's this team that they pilot this Jaeger and this Jaeger. And each one gets like, this is the one that has three arms, because why not? Uh, and then they all get like their one moment before most of them die um, pretty much instantly. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that keeps this movie from being perfect for Agreed. me yeah. is I would have liked to see one battle with each of the Jaegers individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, or at least, you know, the last more than like, in my opinion, Crimson Typhoon, the three armed one is the coolest looking Jaeger out of all of them. And has the most interesting possibilities with the three arms and the blades. And it's piloted by three brothers. Right. And it gets decommissioned immediately. They get taken out in like 20 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> right. The first time we see it go into battle and you're like, no, wait, what? No, what? Oh, man. Well, so do the Russians. And I think the the, the Russians had the coolest one to me because the Russians had like the big clonker, the one that is like, has this like a, a nuclear reactor on top. Yeah. Bucket on top of its head and is giant. Yeah. The, the gulag head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they get taken out brutally, too. It's awful. Yeah, it's really horrific. I mean, oh, God. But also, like, it seems to me like it should have made sense at some point that a kaiju could just kind of hit you in the face. And because that's where the people are, that's would that pretty much be a done deal. Yeah. And that happens to all, like, two or three of those in, like, 20 seconds. Yeah. But this is at the point where they learn that the kaiju are adapting tactics, right? They mm-hmm. send out the electromagnetic wave to turn off the ones that are not uh, nuclear reactors, right? She's analog. Give <laughs> striker. Nothing, sir. The Mark V's digital. It's fine. It'll take me two hours to reroute the auxiliary. All the Jaegers think that they're digital. Not all of them, Marshal. Gypsy's analog. Nuclear. Hey, I'm like, yeah, what does that analog. mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'd still know. have circuitry. It would still be affected by an, an EMP. EMP. An EMP would still turn it off. Yes. Uh, Question for you guys. It seems to me like so. There's a there's one portal, Uh and you have to close the portal. Mm -hmm. And kaiju's are all over the world, Mm -hmm. and they deploy people all over the world because the kaiju's come out of the portal, they swim around the world, and then they pop up and they destroy cities. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you just spawn camp the portal? (laughs) Why have Jaegers everywhere? Because Brett. Too far that's, under. Yeah, the pressure would be too high. Yeah, <laughs> they, what are they supposed to do? Build a floating city? I saw someone on Reddit that like developed a whole like schematic, like a fake schematic for essentially a um, 
like a giant meat grinder that would just go over the portal. <laughs> <laughs> so things would just come through it. And, but I was like, why were those not the ideas at hand? Instead, like just farm out these Jaegers all across the world, even though the kaiju are coming from one place and one place only. We'll turn the uh, rift into the giant Minecraft, you know, mob spawner. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. Here's my theory as to why. Um, okay, go ahead. It's a movie. <laughs> It's a movie, and that wouldn't have made a good movie. Yeah, that wouldn't have been as Robots fun. punching monsters in a city makes for a fun movie. Yeah, I, I do agree. Especially whacking them with a container ship. Yes. That was so awesome. The, the other two things I thought were <laughs> odd is that radio signals go through interdimensional portals. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. We don't know. Have you ever um, been through an interdimensional portal? No. Fair. Fair. <laughs> Not a plot hole if you don't know. And then also, I like how the kaiju, and I'm really getting in the weeds right now, the kaiju are like this battalion of invaders and coming in to colonize the Earth. Why are they sending a pregnant kaiju to come fight? Like, How better to colonize? Because the, like... <laughs> fair. Fair. Yeah, so like it'll come out like you know it's already through the portal. Apparently, they can only send through like one at a time. Why not send a stealth one in at the same time so it can eat Ron Perlman? <laughs> I can imagine someone bringing all of this up to Guillermo del Toro and just like just be like, no, 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 no. no. Like, <laughs> we don't worry. No about answer. That. But like, yeah, we don't worry about that. So. I yeah, I feel like we this is what the third Game of the film we've seen on the show I think or maybe second I don't know if you ever watched but yes we, we Pan's Labyrinth yeah Crimson Peak and Crimson Peak oh, yeah, yeah. and this is that all we've done I feel like he's having the most fun here oh, oh yeah. yeah oh this is the passion yeah. project of passion projects mm-hmm. he was having the best time and even For like sure. Pan's For Labyrinth sure. is a story he wanted to tell but that was a, a soulful emotional story you know <laughs> and this is just like robots punching monsters yep yeah and right let's do it right let's this robot needs to look cooler take it back Design, you know, tweak it here and I, here and here <laughs> i want to build a set that will be hazardous to the health of my actors yeah yeah let's talk yeah. about that you're talking about the the gimbal set for the uh the cockpits of the jaegers right yeah it's yeah. so cool to watch them filming that footage but also like <laughs> your actors are just like strapped in while you're blasting water into their face for yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, Charlie Hunnam put it as like being strapped into an elliptical for 14 hours a day. <laughs> Good Lord. He's like in the Alfred Hitchcock school of filmmaking. <laughs> you just abuse the hell out of the actors because you'll get the, the best performance. I'm sure they must have lost like 10 pounds every time they spent a week. Oh, I'm and sure they're just in those suits. They're probably yeah. just all water weight is gone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I also love that that in in recent years, like Del Toro has gotten involved in like Japanese video game making and like writing stories for games. Yeah. And why are you breaking my heart? He's been doing a ton of just different stuff. Why are you bringing it what? up? Why are you bringing up Silent Hill, which we'll never get? Well, I know, <laughs> just... I know, but he has another one that he's been working on. Um, uh, and, and I know that he was involved with, um, unfortunately involved with the Hobbit movies. I, I wish he, he was originally pitched the direct and then they took it away from him. Yeah. He was not, I was saying he was involved. It's like he was involved until the studio was like, oh no, you're making uh, something interesting and weird. Uh, we can't have that. (laughs) So you're fired. But I will say my, the thing I am most excited about from him is that he's writing 
a dark version, so not an Eddie Murphy version of The Haunted Mansion. <laughs> and that with Guillermo del Toro could be really cool. So we will How's see. How's it going to be different from Crimson Peak? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great question. <laughs> Good question. Uh, Fair point. Well, he's been doing he's been doing a ton of like TV and stuff too. And um, so next year, he's all over the place. Yeah, he did uh, the Strain. Um, yeah, next year he's doing Pinocchio with. Uh, he did that one where she has sex with a fish. Okay, listen. Look you. <laughs> the the movie. <laughs> that movie is fantastic. The Shape of Water is so good. <laughs> I still have not seen it. Yeah, I still have not seen it. Um, so speaking of Guillermo del Toro's previous films. I would be remiss if we close this podcast without at least giving a shout out to Ron Perlman mm-hmm. as the eccentric curio dealer. What what a role and what a what a weird like one of my favorite sets in the film is his oddball like oh, yeah. inner sanctum yeah. of all the different stuff from the kaijus. I was amazed and they built that such a great from character. scratch. Even like all yeah, like right? the card catalog things and it's the marble crazy. and Mm-hmm. They built gorgeous, huge sets. So incredibly for cool. This movie. So incredibly cool. And his character is so great. Hannibal it's, Chow. It's so Guillermo del Toro. Named after yeah. my favorite historical character in my second favorite Szechuan restaurant. <laughs> right. Right. And he makes it. Is he in the second movie? Uh, no, I don't. I don't remember. I don't think so. Think I think the the oh. only recurring recurring recurring. Uh, I was trying to say returning and recurring at the same time. The only recurring characters are uh, Charlie Day and and Burn Gorman, and um, briefly um, Rinko Kikuchi playing yes, Magomori. She is oh, okay, briefly gotcha. in the film. Oh man, he makes it out in the credits too. You know, he comes out and asks where his shoe is. It's great. Well, I mean, those shoes so, took months to make. <laughs> I know, <laughs> just incredible. They're handcrafted. All right, well, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll finish up with uh, you know Del Toro. Did he go to the Spike Lee School of Character Naming with with Hannibal Chow? Hannibal Chow, Mako Mori, Rally Beckett, and of course Stacker Pentecost. Oh, all of these are great oh, names. What a name. Stacker great. Pentecost is the most out there and possibly amazing name I've heard since Flipper Purify in Jungle <laughs> Fever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we have we didn't also mention Hercules Hansen. Hercules uh, Hansen, yes, is a Hercules name in this Hansen. Movie. Hercules Hansen is such a good name. I'm almost mad at how good it is. <laughs> Herc Hansen. Yeah, I, I think as we close here, you know, David, you did put in our doc, and we circled it the entire episode. This movie is all about the rule of cool, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. All these plot holes, none of it matters. Anything that is even momentarily stupid in your mind is actually cool, as long as you are along for the ride with this movie. Did you have fun? Yeah. It's all that matters. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, yes. you know, I think William Gibson said something like, "If for the people who don't like this movie, they don't like the expectations it failed to meet that they brought in with them mm. into the theater. I like that. And the people who just came in and enjoyed it for what it was... Love this movie. Enjoyed it, yeah. <laughs> Which was me. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Several times. And, but at the same time, like, you know, there's, I feel like there are, I'm going to bring like Spielberg into this because I know we shit on Spielberg every 10 or 15 episodes with his recent, all of his recent films. But like, Ready Player One should have been something like this. It should have just been fun 
and kind of dumb and really over the top and you you get what it's referencing and you get what's fun about it but that heart wasn't there uh, and i think that's what a lot of us felt it, it wasn't there in the books either let me just okay fair yeah but point being is like the heart is in this with how ridiculous the entire thing is yeah and that's what makes it from a great director who has created some of the most phenomenal films we've seen on this podcast mm-hmm. and have been created in the last in, in this century but uh he can also do this and he had a lot of fun with it so I, I i love this movie nicole i'm so glad you picked it yeah and i mean don't don't get me wrong i don't think it's a perfect movie oh, yeah. i mean it's got heart but it's like action movie heart mm-hmm. it's got the the heart yeah. of the makers in it but i would have loved to have seen you know like just a peak of the pan's labyrinth level of character development or feeling in here agreed I just I was kind of yeah. hoping I would get that. I was a little disappointed. I didn't get that. But the visuals and the sound make up for it. I mean, we didn't even mention Ramin Javadi's score for this movie, which is just incredibly kick butt and one that you want to put on when it's time to go work out. This really gets you get your heart pumping, get you riled up and ready to watch you know stuff giant robots punching giant monsters you know like we could say it 27 <laughs> times because that's what it is and it's amazing and i love it yeah yeah for sure It is really fun. Well, guys, a reminder, next week is Future Classics. It's my pick. Check the show notes to see what we will be watching. Uh, but let's let's go around the horn. This is the first time we've done uh, Can We Just Talk About. I think this was a lot of fun, and hopefully, I think every time, we're always going to have something that someone is passionate about, and that's what's going to be fun about it. Uh, but, Nicole, where can people find you online? You can find me at letterboxd at Nicole underscore Davis. Wonderful. And what about you, David? Davlas, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. If you find, want to find everything, if you want to find all the show notes, uh, links to subscribe, if you want to find the email for us, all of the links to follow us online, just head on over to mgrpodcast.com, and that's where you can do it. And if you would like to follow along with shooting us an email, let us know what you think about this new segment, and if you're excited for what's going to come out of it, it's hi, H-I, at mgrpodcast.com. But that will do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We will see you next week with Future Classics. (music) 